Hello and welcome back to the Odd Pod. This episode's topic is around the theme of resilience after an amazing webinar with Caroline Webb, author of How to Have a Good Day. I really hope you enjoy it. UK Doc is a charity supporting the mental health and well-being of doctors. To help support us as a charity, please check out our text donate options in our podcast description. To find out more about UK Doc, please check out our Instagram page and our website. This will be a conversational piece hosted by Chris Cherry. I hope you enjoy it. It's worth bearing in mind that these are the thoughts, opinions and experiences of those involved in the conversation only. Welcome to this week's UOK Doc podcast. Welcome again, Mark Seaman and Dan Gearan. This week we're discussing resilience. We had an amazing webinar earlier in the week. We had Caroline Webb in who wrote How to Have a Good Day and she spoke in the webinar, which I think is now online by the time this podcast goes out. So do have a look at it. We're going to be following up from that conversation, which was all about resilience. Um, Now, I know you two listened in on that, so I'm really interested to hear more of your thoughts and reflections about the conversation I had with her. Dan, what was your, how did you find the webinar? I thought it was really interesting having Caroline come on board. Obviously, I've, I've met her prior to the webinar in various meetings but I hadn't to be honest I hadn't read a book prior to the event and uh, I am reading it now and it's just you know it's so credible in terms of the amount of research that she's done behavioral science parts of her book and the way she articulates that was phenomenal and I thought that she gave some really good key tips and pointers and for how doctors reset themselves especially in the moment and also the general public in moments of stress or when you're reacting um, I thought her advice was really was really good. Did you have a clear idea of what resilience is? I don't have a clear definition of what resilience is. I mean, for, for me personally, I think, you know, it's going into work on the days I don't feel like going into it. I don't feel 100%. That, that's, I guess that's you know, just a very snapshot in my mind. But I think that also, I guess, on a bit of a deeper level, it's, it's part of, for me, it's, it's doing the stuff that, that I may put off in my mind. So, whether that's an essay or whether that's a task that I really don't like doing and it's actually just making yourself sit down and do it. I don't know what your thoughts are, Mark. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely incredible. I hadn't read her book before um, watching the webinar, but I immediately downloaded it on Audible afterwards. The whole idea of creating a sort of a toolkit to improve your resilience and the way that she broke down how you can start to control those situations where you don't feel as resilient definitely rang very true. The whole emphasizing the fight, flight or freeze and, and how that can you know, Dan, you mentioned putting off something that would be the the whole flight aspect and how you can recognize that different thing and, and address it. I thought it was very good. I mean, just to root it in the sort of definition of re- resilience, it's the capacity to recover from something challenging or difficult, which just uh, the more we talk, the more these podcasts go on is how central the, the, the need to be resilient in the face of the challenges, the everyday challenges that you face just becomes ever clearer to me. So you're, Mark, you're saying that there's some things that Caroline actively sort of identified as yeah. way as ways of of becoming more resilient in the face of those challenges what sort of things what was it you were just saying yeah the whole sort of i guess response the stress response the adaptive and innate responses to stress and how you can recognize that you're doing those things take a moment and pause and reset them i think she said she mentioned something about recognizing pausing and resetting yeah. um, so that you could see in which which phase of that you are in um, why you were in it and and how you can adapt to move on from that situation and not suppressing it. I thought that was really important because we've talked about it a lot in the podcast about the bits where things have got worse or, you know, things have become more mentally sort of spiraled 
uh, when you sort of suppress something and don't address it. Yeah, we, it keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? That the, the importance, the value of communicating. Yeah. To be able to say out loud yeah. what it is that's sort of impacting on you in a negative way. And she, she's sort of describing it as labelling, yeah. is, is how I understood it. Yeah. Yeah, but I do think, but I, you know, like a couple of years ago, I probably just in reference to the labeling was a lot more prone to feeling quite anxious, but I don't think I would ever really tell anyone. And actually, fast forward, is it yeah. whenever I get anxious now, or if a situation makes me anxious, I'm probably there's one of the first things I do. Yeah. Now I didn't, I guess I do it now because it does make me feel better. And it makes other people aware of it. And then uh, we can kind of try and tackle that but it, it's um but definitely labeling it is is the first step in terms of uh, feeling a bit better yeah and she talks about it as the labeling technique really yeah. doesn't she she mentioned the, that that experiment with or study with people who are frightened of spiders yeah and the more you were able to initially acknowledge the fear it clearly had a kind of diminished the sort of negative impact on you it's a curious one, isn't it? Just to be able to name it, almost counterintuitive to be able to say the very thing that you're frightened of, but then in doing so, it reduces the anxiety and the tension. How would that translate into work? Would it be specific? Would it be general? I mean, I suppose it would be both, really. It translates in lots of lots of different ways, because again, again, going back to maybe more when you're first encountering all these situations, but there are a lot of, a lot of situations that doctors get put in from the very beginning that can make you fearful. And fearful because you're not familiar with that situation as in you know the first even the first time you put a cannula in someone or the first time you go break bad news to someone and if it doesn't go well mm. that fear can sort of build up and you can negatively frame that fear and then it, it, then the next time you go to do that same thing you kind of pull off doing it or you find ways maybe try and find ways to avoid doing it even though you have to at the end of the day and one of the things I thought was really really useful was positively framing things so recognizing that something had happened maybe it didn't go well, but seeing the silver lining to it, where you pick out the good bits from it and how you can improve in the future. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things that yeah. definitely helped me through the years when I've done difficult things and it's bothered me and I, I definitely have like avoided going back to doing it straight away again is looking at, well, you know, you kind of have to, you know, at the end of the day, you have to do it. And what, what, what went well about it? Um, what didn't go so well and why didn't it go so well? And how can you address that? And then go back and do it and then build on those positive things. Okay, this time this went well. Um, maybe that didn't go so well, but you're constantly improving. And by remembering the good bits that went well, I think you you diminish that fear or it no longer becomes a fear. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I think um, with doctors, Chris, there's always on one rotation or maybe two, there's always a shift that you become particularly a bit nervous about because it may be slightly busier than, than the other shifts or it may be slightly out of your comfort zone, etc. And when I know for me, I've, I've had a few of those shifts and I know that every time I've gone on to them, I've, I've done exactly what Mark said. It's like, you know, what can I do to make this, you know, so I can perform the best I can and do the best job I can rather than dwell on the fact that actually this could be a very busy shift and it could be quite difficult group of four days or five days or whatever it is. And when you're going back to the, you know, that shift again, the following day, it's like, well, okay, well, how can I approach this with a fresh face in order to get the best that I can from that, from that night? I mean, I'm referring to a night shift that I remember I used to have to do at a hospital, but yeah, definitely. The shifts are one of the big things that can wear on you, especially the on-call shifts, like the night shifts where your, your resilience is definitely tested because you're suddenly having to do juggle a lot all at once. And you might be the only one that's juggling those things because um, you're not as quite as well supported at night or at weekends or in evenings because there's less of you around. But there's the same number of patients in the ward yeah. uh, and the hospital. So you're still 
having to pick up a lot of the jobs and the jobs you do on call are generally usually the slightly maybe scarier jobs because it's usually addressing where it should um, usually be addressing those that are unwell or becoming sick or deteriorating yeah. and managing that. So you're having to, especially when you're not used to it, take on a lot of these quite stressful jobs. I mean, it can even be something like um, you're not, you don't know the patient at all. A relative is called up and they want to know what's going on. So you're having to learn a lot about that patient very suddenly and then, then communicate it to a relative who might be unhappy for some reason about something. And you're dealing with a, a lot of new things that can be difficult. So it, it, you, you recognize, you recognize that there's going to be a pattern to those shifts and it's easy to be afraid of them or try and avoid them or, you know, not enjoy them as much. And remember the, the difficult bits of it, because you always remember the cool shifts as being more difficult just because they're the harder bits dwell on you a bit. But I think maybe using some of the tools of picking up the positive bits of it and remembering the positive bits of those shifts would definitely help. The things you learned from those shifts, the things that went well, the things that you did well would be helpful. So the way you describe talking about this stuff, it makes it, it's extraordinary the amount of constant resilience you need, really. And then you factor in uncertainty and guilt. I mean, it's extraordinary that you manage to keep going, really. I mean, do you think part, part of the resilience, part of the reason why doctors have to be, or, you know, show resilience is because actually or the reason why they feel like they should be resilient is because the weight of the job is actually a patient that's a, it's their consumer, essentially. And if it goes wrong, you're risking someone's life. And maybe that's part of doctors have to, you know, feel like they should be so resilient and always kind of facing that evolving cycle of resilience and how to go into a new shift and 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 the fears that goes with that shift and the uncertainty and then and then they learn about what that shift's about and then they come out the other side of it almost always you know completely fine having done a very good job yeah i agree i guess that's one of the reasons why the doctors need to be um resilient because there is that pressure pressure on them it's, di- it's difficult really to to say that it that it that it gets easier. I guess you just get more used to it. Both of you articulated so well. It's almost like you just intuitively, instinctively drew upon these things that now Caroline's articulated. But it's like it was there anyway for you. I know that, that Mark and I maybe that we may be articulating it very well, but actually I never had like a format. I, I did it pretty subconsciously, like mm. Mm-mm. my mind, I remember Caroline saying she's got a chatterbox for mine. I think I've probably got the same thing. <laughs> and it just is part of that. It forms part of that chatterbox. It's not it's not anything that I do purposefully. I mean, maybe, I mean, I think now I'd start doing purposefully. I mean, do, do, do you think if you had the, if this sort of emotional consciousness or intelligence, you, if you'd had five, 10 years ago, would it have made a, do you think it would have made a difference in some ways? Yeah, I definitely do. So in what way do you think it would have, it's quite useful to pin it, why, why are we having these conversations as opposed to look at your histories as well as the value of what people can hear in listening? So what wasn't happening for you, Mark? Well, I, d- I guess like a lot of the coping mechanisms that you develop throughout your time as a doctor is, you know, you're, like Dan said, if you're not consciously like looking to develop them, you're mm. evolving them because you're you're forced to by the situation. You you have to develop ways to cope and to improve. You can't always be facing the same situations with that same level of anxiety and fear because it's, it's not sustainable, I don't think. Because you're sort of saying that people had to kind of become resilient off their through their own kind of strengths, their, their own sort of personality, their, their own sort of understanding of things. Sort of think about the generic nature of this and then the specific individual, that it almost is a part of becoming centered in yourself. It's sort of just literally going through it without quite knowing how it works. I think, you know, what, what would have been like 10 years ago if I'd known this? So 10 years mm. ago, I'd have been 
24. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was entering medicine. I think I definitely would have been a lot more decisive probably in most areas of my life with the decisions that I'd always wanted to make but didn't quite make it because I was, I guess, maybe in a freeze point and scared of the consequences or what could have happened and, and things like that. I think probably... I mean, I'm not saying now I've got this huge resilience, but it's developed a bit. And maybe had I been more in tune with everything that I would have made decisions quite a lot quicker and then been able to progress in the direction that I wanted to a bit quicker than, than I did. I suppose you, you sort of put the finger on it, which is what part of this you just need to learn just to discover your own strengths and uh, vulnerabilities and where being kind of taught these things will make an active difference as part of that whole process. Yeah, I think there's two... For me, there's two sides of it. I know I always talk about before being a doctor, and I won't mention the what I used to do. But you know, before before we were doctors, Mark, I still remember that time. And actually, if we say we were members of the general public before being a doctor, used I remember still having to have a lot of resilience in what I was doing. And I don't think I'm unique in that. I think we all did. And I think that I guess it is a behavior in humans. I don't know if I'm right in saying this or wrong, are quite adaptive. But I think having something that's absolutely explicitly said to you or and pointed out uh, speeds, you know, can speed up that behavioral change. Yeah. I guess maybe you don't realize how important the like resilience is or the tools you can develop to improve your resilience are until you've actually been put in those situations. And until you start practicing them, even if you don't realize you're practicing them and then reflect back and you look and you're like, oh yeah, I'm better at that now because I'm doing this process. And I definitely agree with you, Dan, like this, you know, it's useful in your everyday life. It's not just, you're not just healthcare professionals or those under um, high stress jobs. Practicing resilience in your everyday personal life is also very important. What's the average age of training doctors you know to be honest i wouldn't know what the average age was because there is a in i mean in uk i think the majority of people who start training train straight out of a levels which is 19 i mean it's an extraordinary young age to be thrown into having to draw upon your own sort of strengths at an age when you're just still forming developing i mean you look at yeah in america you enter medical school after you've done a degree so you're you're 22 in america degrees are four years and you're 22 when you enter medical school so you are slightly a, a bit more mature and i think entering medicine at 18 i mean it's a really young age like you were saying chris to then have to i guess start that process of developing uh, resilience that you need as a doctor do you think in retrospect it leads to different outcomes for, for people about what resilience means so that some people get hardened or distant, the other way become overwhelmed, have to drop out. There's going to be different versions. I suppose part of what Caroline's done is given people a roadmap that broadly everybody can reference and use to sort of both on a personal level and just a generic kind of user toolbox, like you were saying, Mark, to, to cultivate resilience. Historically, do you think it, because people had to come up with their own versions of resilience, do you think that's created different ways in which people are in their manner and approach to patients to themselves? I mean, I guess so. Everyone develops their own coping strategies, whether they realise it or not, and that becomes part of their personality. So I guess there will always be those that are maybe maybe come across a bit colder because they they try to disconnect themselves from the situation as a way of dealing with it with with difficult, challenging decisions, and then. Once you start using an approach for one aspect of your life, 
it probably become a part of an aspect that affects all parts of your life. I'm not sure what you think about that. That's a bit too quick. <laughs> 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 You're a deep man, Mark. <laughs> so I leave you guys to, to a therapy session. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of on your train of thought, Chris. A, a question that we didn't—I didn't get the chance to tell you guys about the other night was. Um, uh, it was an anonymous question that essentially said, um, "I've worked closely with a a psychiatrist that works with doctors uh, in the NHS, and the psychiatrist said that resilience should not be a word that is used because it can mask essentially the problems underneath it." And I, I mean, me personally, I'm not about to answer that question, but I understand what they're saying. But there are so many interesting sort of different edges to to the whole thing, and I think it's about being able to re acknowledge resilience without it then being a binary kind of idea that there's either or, because it can set. I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about it with Caroline, that it can become another way in which people beat themselves up or they they fail or gives a sort of fake, a false economy, emotional economy as to what is or isn't going on. So I think you have to use it carefully as both conceptually and specific to the person. But I still think it's very useful to to have it as a kind of conversation, as a subject. If you don't use that word, you're also diminishing some some of the things that people can proactively, positively sort of engage with and and utilize for their own version of of being comfortable with themselves emotionally and mentally. So when someone like I've met people, I, I probably have been that person that that has got a wall up. I mean, some would like Mark was saying that that in a way could come across as resilient. For me, I think resilience is is both recognizing the, the practical challenges in the way that we've discussed before, which is kind of you're in a constant state of having to be resilient or adapt or respond to all kinds of different things like uncertainty and guilt, life or death decisions. But I think it's the tension between yourself and the, the way, the manner in which you cultivate a resilience. Because like you say, putting up a wall or a front could be resilience. But is it actually benefiting you emotionally, mentally? And I would probably think that could certainly create certain more serious mental, emotional problems. But also just the manner in which you're with people. I mean, anecdotally, and I think it's possibly unfair on doctors, but, you know, the, the cliche is of the doctor who has no social skills, no sort of interpersonal skills, whether that's because of time limits or just this view of doctors who are quite scientific or sort of objective. You could see the people who become more rigid or, or harder because for them it's a way of being resilient could compound that sort of way of being with people, but ultimately be relationship with yourselves. So I think it's important to be clear there are different ways of being resilient and some are much better for you mentally and emotionally than others. Yeah. yeah, I think putting up the wall is almost like, you know, when we're talking about uh, fear or suppressing, it's it's not good to suppress things. Definitely acknowledging what's going on is better. And I mean, that the way medical medicine is taught and practiced now is much more patient centered. It, you know, it's not it's not around a textbook. It's around the person as a whole. So I think people are getting better at addressing the whole person, but it's definitely a developing process. But Adam Kay, who's going to be speaking in the seminar series later in a couple of weeks, well, I watched an interview on him, there was a short clip about he's kind of pitching the idea that actually, do we need these top level people with A levels, etc? He's like, maybe we do, but we also need someone or we need a, a section in the medical school interview process where, you know, it sets out a real life scenario of what it's like to be a doctor and like, you know, can you do this? this is something that you 
would like to do and it sets out a scenario of like can you you know can you communicate properly and i don't i mean maybe now that's changed but the university we went to was pretty good kind of teasing those things but i can imagine that yeah that, that, that maybe some are not as good but uh, it was it was an interesting point on his because he essentially is is saying like you know to make us better rounded and to kind of almost do a bit of an acid test on that resilience it's like actually some of these days are going to be really really tough and you're going to have uh, pretty grim days where you know you're going to lose patience etc etc it's like how, you know can you handle that i mean they're trying to push testing resilience now for our med school and i mean it's part of the gmc professionalism and uh, part of i think it's part of our job description probably is is you know practice resilience and the whole situational judgment test that is now a lot of those questions are around situations where you are a little bit out of your depth there is a little bit less support and how you prioritize your decision making process i mean as, I, as i'm listening to the two of you there's a sort of dual sort of dual process going on which is both the sort of culture of medicine both sort of beginning to give more guidance focus on 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 ways of being resilient both you in your work with patients and and then alongside that just in the way you two are talking is also giving more attention to your own healthy needs for the sort of things that will provide you with resilience and sort of caroline was talking about some of those again it always you know we're talking about communication but there are some of the other things which you you both cite every time we speak which is about exercise and kind of a certain sort of conscious living were the things that yeah. she mentioned in in there that chimed with with those sort of personal development or care and attention of yourselves yeah when she mentioned about you know journaling or taking away three good points at the end of every day to frame your day in a positive way and how you form memories and when you you know if you reflect upon something positively at the end of the day you're more likely to remember that as a good day and I, it's something i started doing a year or so ago now i started doing a five minute journal i'm not very consistent with it but i try and where every day i try and write a few points down that have happened that were important to me and i found that reflective process really useful because it's it's been useful as personally and as a doctor and in training because it means that i have some benchmarks in my week or or my shifts where i can like oh yeah i did that on that day it's something I can write about in my portfolio. And it's also good for me to look back at it as like, oh, yeah, I've had that experience that went well. So I think one of the things that chimed with me was the framing your day in a positive way, taking away a few good bits every day. And she was specifically at the end of the day, wasn't she? She was. She said yeah. that would be useful, important to do at the end of the day. Yeah. Dan, did you have it? Was anything struck a chord for you that doing anyway or you thought would be? You know, I think when Caroline spoke about uh, labelling, as we touched upon earlier, that kind of really... Um, struck a chord especially because I guess I kind of realized that's what I do but actually I can do it probably more on certain situations and she speaks about in her book I think it's about Bartek um, a chef and like uh, the way that he labeled or, or his employees um, essentially expressed their concerns when things weren't going so well and it it kind of cleared the air and I think that could be really valuable as a doctor um, doing that whether you're on a team and it's just, you know, one of those days where patients are very unwell, et cetera, and, and just kind of acknowledging that, labeling it and, and getting on rather than, than it being an unsaid feeling or thought. It, it's much better just to kind of air it, then it's there, and then you can move on and press on. And it's, it's yeah. you know, everyone's on that on that page. It's the very opposite of putting up a wall, really, isn't it? You're, not, you're opening the doors. And, and that's, I think that's, I mean, I, 
One of the things that I think is important about this discussion, about Karen Webb's discussion, is that I don't think we're saying that um, you have to be resilient. I think we're saying that there are, are toolkits you can use and, and things you can do that can improve the way you cope yeah. with situations and the way you respond to them. We're definitely, you know, as, as doctors working in a very busy NHS, there's, there's, there's huge system factors at play, but and not making any excuses for any of those and saying that, you know, you have to be a resilient person to then to counter those because, you know, that there is there are important things to address as well, but that you can make things a bit better for yourself and easier for yourself and develop by practicing some of the things that we've talked about. And you probably are subconsciously doing it anyway, um, but just by recognizing it and practicing it, Caroline Webb said, you know, it's like a muscle or keep keep practicing keep exercising that particular thing that you'll find is helping and it'll improve you'll do it subconsciously i mean i think you make a good point that it, it's it's an ongoing state of being really that you it isn't sort of a fixed challenge which then everything after mm -hmm. that flows easily both just generally in life but also the work you are doing day in and day out mm -hmm. is is constant moments of of drawing upon those sort of the understanding of what's happening to you physically and mentally. The fact that they keep happening doesn't mean that you're failing at being resilient. It's not like you can eradicate the challenges. It's more that you keep bringing your attention to how to deal with and cope and manage the, the different challenges. I think it's important for people not to confuse ideas or thoughts as if you eradicate those challenges. It's an ongoing thing. And then I think the other thing that she talked about is, is always sort of remaining curious for the situation. I mean, I think she talked about discovering. I see it in similar ways, but I'd use curiosity that you always remain curious to what's happening. Because if you remain curious, then you're engaged. You're not going into reaction or fearful. Everything has its own sort of situation, has its opportunity for learning and sort of continuing to build your craft, which is essentially what, what it is. And just the general need to incorporate an ongoing attention to your emotional and mental well-being. I mean, I think that's what the charity has been set up for, really, is to be able to inform, educate, and articulate those things, that, it, that yeah. it's crucial. It's not something to do in the moment of crisis, that it's actually incredibly beneficial, both for you in terms of your personal lives, but also your professional work. So thank you, Mark, Dan, for being with me again today. Fascinating conversation, and I hope you, the listeners, found it really useful and valuable in dealing with and managing emotional mental health challenges that you face every day of your working lives thank you thanks very much chris thanks chris so that was our discussion on resilience after an amazing webinar with caroline webb i really hope you enjoyed it and if you missed our first webinar with caroline webb you can check it out on our uok doc youtube channel thank you and in some exciting news we have a webinar series that starts on the 11th of june we've got a great weekly lineup every thursday for six weeks featuring caroline webb mike fisher tom mitchell Julia Samuels, Adam Kay, and Aman Kunar. Please check out our UOK.web website under the Huddle section to find out more about this exciting seminar series. And we look forward to seeing you again on our next podcast.